Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including life groups, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. This is week three in our Summer in the Psalms series. I hope that you've been enjoying it. Last week, Laura did an incredible job talking to us about the idea of lament. The majority of the Psalms, more Psalms are lament Psalms than any other genre of Psalms. And she talked to us about the importance of bringing our unedited, just feelings before God. He can handle it. My favorite line that she said was, lament keeps us in that mysterious middle between despair and denial. And I just think there's something powerful there. If you didn't get a chance to catch her message on lament, I would encourage you to go to our website. You can find it there and to listen to it uh, for a first time or go back and listen to it again. But this week, we're moving to throne room psalms, psalms of enthronement. As our worship was just about the glory and the awe, the majesty, we're worshiping God for who he is. The psalms that we will look at today are going to continue along those lines. We're beholding his greatness. We're beholding his power. These are about his sovereign rule and reign over all of creation. And it's important for us to behold who he is. We often say at Sam Alliance that we want to start in a place of beholding the greatness of God. That's where we have to start. And and from beholding that is where we then move into believing who he is and who he says he is. And then from that comes our behavior. When we go the opposite direction, that is legalism. We don't want anything to do with that. We start in a place of beholding his greatness, his goodness, his kindness, and we stand in awe of that. Today, we're actually going to look at three separate enthronement psalms, Psalm 24, 96, 93, and then Psalm 96, and we're going to stand in awe. We're going to do something a little bit different. It's the summer, and I love that we get to try some new things out, but today we're going to try something very different. I'm calling it the eights. Last night, we called it the sevens. I have three speakers that are each going to speak We thought for seven minutes, but it's more like eight. So we're going to each speak for about eight minutes. I'm going to kick us off talking about Psalm 24. Then Dr. Amit Batia, professor, an academic and an elder here at Sam Alliance is going to come up. He has an incredible word on Psalm 93. And then finally, one of our own pastors, Linda, is going to come up and finish up with Psalm 96. So set the clock at eight minutes, and here we go. Psalm 24. Psalm 24. I love this psalm. As I said earlier, I grew up uh, near New York City and went to college there as well. And one of the things that was a benefit living in New York City is that oftentimes friends would score tickets to things like the Letterman Show or the Daily Show. And I love comedy. And so oftentimes groups of us, we would go to the live tapings of these shows. And you go in there and the tech director is out there and you're waiting for the main person to come out. But oftentimes what you might not know is while you're waiting for them to come out, they want to make sure that the audience audience is ready, that they're laughing quickly, that they're excited to be there. And so they always have warm-up comics that come out to warm up the audience. And oftentimes, the warm-up comics are often better than the main event. And I used to love going. And you would go, and you start laughing. And there's just, when people around you are laughing, you laugh a little harder. And it's really important because it makes a better experience for the audience at home as well. And it's interesting, this idea of just warming up, of preparing for the main event is actually what Psalm 24 is all about. Psalm 24 is actually an entrance liturgy. It's a liturgy of preparation. And I'm going to read it here in a moment, but you're going to see there's three separate movements in this psalm. 
It starts with a reminder of who it is that we have come to see, a reminder of what the main event, creator, Yahweh, is all about. And then it moves into this idea of preparation. How do we prepare to be in his presence? Who is this Yahweh that we have come to see? And finally, it's a liturgy of celebration, of his holiness, of the victory that Yahweh has secured for us. And so Psalm 24, I'll be reading it from the New Living Translation. We'll put it on the screen here. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. Open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors, and let the King of glory enter. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, invincible in battle. Open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors, and let the King of glory enter. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of heaven's armies. He is the king of glory. This is the word of the Lord. As the Israelites prepare to enter the temple, they are reminded again of the main attraction that they have come to see. They are there to be in the presence, the manifest presence of God himself, the God of Israel, the God of creation, Yahweh himself. And here we have a declaration that he is ruler of it all, that we are reminded that we are his possession, made in his image. We are reminded in verse two that the chaos that existed, the water, the waters represent the chaos, that the waters have been tamed because he is so powerful and so great. In fact, that he has formed land as we see in the creation narrative for us to dwell on. And we come into his presence reminded an encounter with the ruler, the creator of all is about to take place. As modern day readers of this, we are reminded of his dominion and his authority and all power that is his. And so I want to pause, and I want to call us to worship with a responsive reading. Would you join me in the reading of that which is in bold? Who is this God who we have come to worship? We behold Yahweh, creator and sustainer of all. He built the foundations and rules over the birds and trees, mountains, the wind and the sea. We behold the ruler of all things, seen and unseen. We are his treasured possession whom he gave his only son for. We behold the Lord of heaven and earth. The psalm transitions and the second movement is the people of God preparing to enter in to his manifest presence. And the question that is being sung over them by the Levite priest, it's being sung over the pilgrims as they prepare to see the face and the presence of God is this. Who can enter? Who can stand in this holy place? The answer is given as well. Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not lie, who do not worship idols, they are the ones that will receive the Lord's blessing. They are the ones that will see him face to face. It's a reminder even in the Old Testament law that it is not all about outward action, but it's actually about our moral and ethical behavior, which can only come from the work that has been done in our inner soul. 
And we are reminded, as Jesus will teach over and over and over, that it is the heart, that it is what's inside that matters most to God. And here, the people are reminded once again that, yes, though they have made sacrifices, that, yes, though before they enter, they wash their hands to symbolize purity in the labor that is outside of the temple, that it is actually about their pure hearts and their clean hands as they come into his presence. And so we, too, as modern readers, are invited in humble worship and repentance to prepare ourselves for an encounter with the king. And so would you join me again in a call to worship? O Spirit, come and make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. O Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands and pure hearts. O Father, we want to be the generation that seeks your face. Let us not lift our souls to another. And finally, there's a third movement in this song. Most scholars agree that it was written, that it was a celebratory psalm because the Ark of the Covenant had been recovered. It had been recovered and the temple had been completed. And now things would be made as though they were intended. And the Ark in the manifest presence of God would return to the dwelling place that had been built to hold him. And here it is, and the Levite priests are proclaiming this immense celebration, and this dwelling place has been established. It is the advent, the coming, the arrival of God to his people and the people to their God. We are reminded here, it's a foreshadowing of the advent that we celebrate every December of Christ coming as a baby and coming into our world. The advent that the curtain was torn, the veil was torn, that we sung about, that we just get access to the king. We get to see his face, a reminder that he is coming again. And his second coming is that final advent as we await him. And so again, we respond in worship. Who is this king of glory? Our God, who dwelt among his people, whose presence filled the holy of holies. Who is this king of glory? Born in Bethlehem, Jesus is his name. The whole world is filled with his peace. Who is this king of glory? His throne is justice and righteousness. We await his return when all will be made right. And so this morning, through Psalm 24, we behold and worship the king of glory. We prepare and we pursue holiness in our preparation to see his face. And with anticipation, we await his second coming. King of glory, you are welcome in this place. Namaste. Psalm 93. Um, this psalm was written... Uh, after God had brought the Israelites uh, back into the land of Egypt uh, from the exile in Babylon. And it, uh, the psalm is written to remind the reader that in the midst of all the chaos of life, all the blows um, and the pummeling, that God is more powerful, that he rules, that he reigns, that he sits on the throne. Situating this psalm in its context, um, God had come uh, to Egypt and delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. They became his own people. He brought them to Mount Sinai. And that's where he gave them his law, his commandments, his statutes. And he said to them that the deepest longing of my heart is to bless you. I want to open up the heavens and pour out my blessing upon you 
beyond your wildest imaginations. My desire is that you're going to be blessed, you're going to be a content people, a faithful people, that you're going to uh, follow my commandments, and my light is going to shine out in you and through you. And as my light shines out, uh, people from other nations are going to be drawn to me, people like you and me. And that was God's desire. He says, this is what I want to do. But if you disobey me, then I'm going to send trouble into your life. Trouble is going to come in the form of famine, locust plagues, diseases. Nations would rise up around them, prod them, goad them, take their crops and so on, their harvest. Um, and God said, even in that trouble, my desire is to bless you. I want to pour out my blessing upon you. My hope is that when you face difficulty, you're going to cry out to me and you're going to turn back and I'm going to open up the heavens and I'm going to bless you. But if you don't, and God sent prophet after prophet when Israel walked away from God, and he said, if you don't listen to these prophets, then the worst of the punishment is going to come upon you. The greatest blessing Israel could enjoy was living in the land flowing with milk and honey, a land of rest. So the greatest punishment would be exile. And in fact, in Israel's history, that happened twice. First time to the northern kingdom of Israel, but this time Israel was in two pieces, northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. And uh, the Assyrians rose to power, um, and they carted off the northern kingdom of Israel into exile all over the Assyrian empire. Eventually, uh, Babylon comes to power, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar rises up, and Judah is continuing in its sin and uh, God carts off using Nebuchadnezzar to judge uh, the southern kingdom of Judah and takes them off into uh, deportation into all over, uh, Israelites were spread out all over uh, the empire of Babylon. Daniel was one of those people. When you read the book of Daniel, that's what, what the context is. So God takes them off. And then imagine this psalmist. Now these Israelites are living in Babylon uh, God had said, you're going to be there for 70 years. Um, settle down, marry, have children. And so imagine this psalmist who writes the Psalm 93 for us, um, is, is born in Babylon, and then he grows up in the Jewish community that has settled down in the synagogues. And he's, Sabbath after Sabbath, he listens to stories. His parents tell him stories at home. Grandparents are teaching them. They're celebrating the Passover. And he's learning about the history of Israel. And they tell him, he, he hears that God had called this small nation to himself, a people, a chosen people, so that he could bless them, so that he could bless the whole world and redeem the whole world through one of the seed of the nation of Israel. And he's hearing these stories. And then he also hears that a day is going to come when God is going to take the Israelites back to their land. And finally that day arrives. And they all get back. And this time around, it happens through Cyrus. Persia comes to power. Babylon is down. Cyrus issues the decree and says, all people, go back to your land, build your houses of worship, and worship your God. And it is because of this de decree that Israel com uh, comes back. And now they're settling in. The temple is built. The psalmist is looking all this, and all of a sudden it hits him what God, this king, has done. And he writes this psalm. Follow along with me in Psalm 93. Verses 1 and 2. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm, and secure. 
Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. And the psalmist is saying he's marveling at this. Maybe he falls on his face and says, God, you are king. You sit on the throne. You are powerful. You are in control of all things. It is because of your power. You're clothed with majesty. You're robed with majesty. You have this belt around your waist, the belt of strength. You're like a mighty warrior fighting, striving to fulfill your plan in this world so that we can be blessed, so that this world can be blessed. That's who you are, Lord, because your throne was established from eternity. That's why the world is a secure and a firm place. That's why we can be secure and firm, because of you. Verses 3 and 4. The seas have lifted up. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. You can stand at the base of, of the lighthouse at uh, Cape Mears and you look down at the ocean and you see the waves crashing onto the rocks and hear their sound and you get a, a, an idea of what the psalmist is thinking about, the power of the ocean. You try taking a dip in there or take your kayak and you paddle around and see what happens. Um, but, but biblically speaking, the seas, this is a metaphor here in the psalm and it refers to the enemies of Israel, enemies like uh, Assyria. Uh, they mocked God. They cried out against him. Daughter of Zion, the, the king of uh, Israel, the God of Israel, they mocked him. Babylon comes to power. Eventually, Persia comes to power. It is because of the majesty of God, the power of God. Verse 5, mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea. Yahweh is mighty. He is even greater than all these world powers that came to, uh, uh, into place, set up their empires, and it is because of his power that a pagan king like Cyrus, king of Persia, God moves in his heart and says, you need to send every person uh, back to their land, and the Jews come back. And the psalmist says, God, you are amazing that you did this. You moved in the heart of a man who doesn't know you, and you brought about your will. Your plan has moved forward, so you can bless us, and you can bless the world. Verse 5. Your statutes, Lord, stand firm. So reflecting on all the things that God had said in his word. If you follow me, if you're faithful to me, I'm going to bless you. If you disobey me, punishment is going to come upon you. And he's looking at this, and he's looking at the promises of God and saying, God, your word is true. Your statutes are firm. Um, holiness adorns your house. Are you finding yourself in a place where difficulties have come upon you? Life has dealt a blow and you have no idea how you're going to make it through? You know, I've been in this kind of a place on many occasions and it feels like you're in this, the, the image that comes to my mind and I've had dreams about these uh, this nightmares. You're in the basement of a house and in Salem they don't build houses in basements but in Illinois they do and you're in the basement of this house and, and the ceiling is kind of coming down it's, and the, the, the weight of it and then the walls are crushing in and you're pressed in and you've got nowhere to go and you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel and you're wondering how you're going to make it. If you find yourself in this place, this psalmist would say to you, remember, Yahweh is king. He sits on the throne. He is sovereign. He's in control. He is more powerful than any situation you can face. I was a brand new Christian just broke, dirt poor, dropped out of graduate school. I was living with some friends 
uh, trying to uh, got a job, an hourly uh, wage, and, and trying to make it through and uh, saving enough money so eventually I could get an apartment. Uh, my brother, who was also going to be finishing college, he said, I'm going to come uh, and move in uh, with you and uh, let's get a big apartment and we share this together. We'll work and we're going to have a good time. And uh, so that was the plan and I put together some money and, and uh, little by little and, and the time came. I uh, rented an apartment, paid the deposit, everything was all set. And then one day my brother calls and says, uh, I found a job here near where I'm living right now. I'm not moving. And there I was with this big apartment this monthly payment to make that I had no idea what I was going to do. God's statutes stand firm. One of the statutes is, trust me, God says, look to me, I'm going to help you. So I found myself young in faith, three, four months, and and looking to God for help. And uh, a couple of weeks later, uh, get a call, a boss calls me into the office uh, and says, uh, we're promoting you and we're going to give you a raise. And the, the promotion and the raise is going to begin from this date. The very day that my brother was going to start making contributions uh, towards our expenses. And the raise totaled up to the amount my brother was going to pay to the penny. I had the same reaction that this psalmist had. I fell on my face and said, God, you are awesome, using my own language. This is amazing. I can't believe you did this. Now, today, I, I, I'm praying for a $2 million house, and hopefully God <laughs> If you find yourself in a difficult place, the psalmist would say to you, Jesus would say to you, this God who finally sent his son Jesus, and when Jesus was crucified, they thought they were doing away with this person who claimed to be Messiah. But all they did, and they mocked him, ridiculed him, You are the king of the Jews. We bow down to you. Slapped him. Terrible humiliation. But all they did was fulfill God's plan. Because Jesus, God, sits on the throne. Yahweh sits on the throne. And he has met the greatest need you and I have. Reconciliation with God. You find yourself in a difficult place. The psalmist would say to you, Yahweh is king. He sits on the throne. Trust him. Look to him. And worship him. And continuing in that theme, we're going to move to Psalm 96, an enthronement psalm. I'm going to read it aloud to you. The text will be behind me on the screen, but if you want to follow along in your pew Bible, that's on page 499. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and beauty fill his sanctuary. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. 
Let all the earth tremble before him. Tell all the nations, the Lord reigns. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. He will judge all peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with his truth. This is the word of the Lord. So clearly this text continues the theme that Rob introduced to us, this concept of God's sovereign rule and reign over all creation. And I'm captured in Psalm 96 by the continued references to God's greatness. Line after line refers to his authority over creation, his relentless commitment to justice, and in turn, our necessary response in worship. These are the themes repeated in the enthronement psalms we have heard today. And so as I wrap up our three speakers, I'm compelled to ask us, now what? So now what? And I believe that answer lies within the text itself. Look at the imperatives or the instructions included in the lines of Psalm 96. The words are up behind me. We are instructed to sing, praise, proclaim, publish, tell, recognize, give, bring, and worship. It's pretty obvious there is an expected response to worship our creator. Let the heavens be glad Let the earth rejoice. Let the fields and the crops burst with joy. All of creation responds in worship. As an Oregonian, I'm not really an outdoorsy person. I don't hike. I don't climb mountains. But I do love the sun. And oftentimes, when I'm sitting outside in the sun and I feel the warmth of those rays upon my face... There's a moment where I begin to think about God's love for me. It's as, it's as if in that radiant heat, Jesus is just saying to me, I see you. I'm here. I'm here with you. It's like he shows up in that touch. And so I was thinking about all the other ways that Jesus shows up in creation, and the ways that we talk about creation worshiping the creator. Amit talked about the power of the sea, or we talk about volcanoes, or majestic mountains. We also talk about that cool breeze, or a mighty wind. And so as I sat outside writing this sermon, I thought about what are the ways that the creation worships the creator? And sitting on my deck, I looked out, and I was caught by the leaves on the trees and the bushes. Just leaves. Green leaves, red leaves, variegated leaves, shiny leaves, pointy leaves, waxy leaves. Not grand and majestic, like a mountain or an ocean, but unique and special, perfectly designed by the Creator. And that made me think about us. Probably not many of us in this space would describe ourselves as majestic or fancy. 
But what are we called to do in response to our Creator in our own ordinary, unique, and special ways? How do we proclaim and publish and tell in our worship? And so the question we're going to ask ourselves today is, what is the part of my story that I'm prepared to share for the glory of God? Many of you in this room have amazing stories to share. Some of you have stories of dramatic healing or provision like Amit shared, stories that cannot be told outside of God. But some of you are sitting in this place thinking, I don't have a beautiful story. In fact, my story is racked with pain. My story isn't safe to tell. My story is so deep in grief and loss that I can't even bear to return to that place. And I think the psalmist has something to say about that as well. Psalm 96 launches with the phrase, sing a new song. That's because it comes right after Psalm 95, which is a painful remembrance of the disobedience of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. It's a recounting of 40 years of God's anger with his people. Not exactly the story you're proud to retell. But David redirects those moments into Psalm 96, which is an exhortation to proclaim the good news that God saves. And it's a reminder that even in the pain, God was with the Israelites. They weren't alone, and neither are we. So, what might it look like to publish or proclaim your story for the purposes of worship? And maybe it's just being purposeful in recounting the ways that Jesus shows up in the little things. We have a family of four. My husband and I have four kids. And our youngest child was adopted from China when he was 15 months old. And that's a beautiful, grandiose story, and there are many ways in which God showed up in that. But I want to tell you a story about the little piece that meant so very much. And so this is the story we proclaim. My brother and his wife had been serving as international workers in China for over 10 years, and so when we decided to complete our family with an international adoption, China was the most natural location. And so we worked with a local Oregon adoption agency who had connections with all sorts of orphanages in China, and we waited and waited and waited for that email to come saying, your match, your baby has been selected for you and it's time to come. And we opened that email when it finally arrived, and there was this beautiful picture of this baby boy, and we fell in love immediately. But the part of the story that we tell is when we scrolled into all the details of the email, how we were supposed to come, how we were supposed to come pick up that little boy. That orphanage that he was in was 20 minutes away from my brother's house. China has a landmass the size of this entire country. And my baby was 20 minutes away, here to Woodburn. And that was when we reminded ourselves that God saw us in the big, but he also saw us in the little. And that's the story that we proclaim and we publish. So as we get ready to leave this place together this morning, I want you to think about your story. 
Telling stories is what we do here at Salem Alliance. It's part of our DNA. We regularly show testimony videos. We regularly share stories of healing because telling stories releases faith. God's greatness in every season of our life, moments of pain and celebrations of joy, those moments deserve to be published and proclaimed as offerings of worship. What is the part of your story you are prepared to share for the glory of God? My prayer for us is that we don't keep silent. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.